as a ledger, keeping an account of payments for such things as spinning and drinks. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well-rounded Bible teaching around the clock. On the Way, 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. After 12 years of Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel swears in a new leader. But will this lead to anything prophetic? We'll ask the same question as we look at the rising cost of goods in America. We'll also look at the rising dictatorship in the EU, especially when it comes to the Jews. Speaking of the Jews, the Jew hate is also rising in New York, and there is something prophetic, or is there something prophetic, about the Dead Sea earthquake beyond Matthew 24. That's just some of what we'll discuss as we review the signs of the times. Our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, June 18th, 2021. Along with Mark Kirk, the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville, I'm Greg Hilton. Thanks for joining us. You can enjoy Signs of the Times anytime simply by downloading the Way Media app or visiting our website at thewaymedia.net. And today's show will become podcast number 172, which we've made magically delicious, but only when you subscribe to Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. There you go. (laughs) And now, if you want to read the articles that we discuss, we post those with every episode. You can only get those on the Way Media app. Those are not postable through the traditional podcast uh, ways and means, so to speak. So anyway, Pastor Mark. Great to be here. Yes, and happy Father's Day. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Yes. And uh, so we celebrate that today. And and again, it's it's a great weekend. Excited. Yeah, it is. And in honor of Father's Day, um, I have a few uh, Father's Day jokes that I'd like to pass along. Uh, We could really make a whole show out of dad jokes, but... Let's not... uh, Let's not. Let's not hurt the people. Let's not hurt the people. Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, here's the first one. A bald man got a great deal on a wig today. It was only a dollar. It was a small price to pay. I did the drums too soon. No, you did the drums too soon. Sorry. Okay. I'm going to wait. You go ahead. You did great. Okay. I'll let you do your own drums. Okay. No, no, no. I'll I'll do the last (laughs) one. Small price to pay. That was good. You can do the second one. That was good. Okay. What do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? I don't know. They're both Paris sites. Ooh. Yeah, that was kind of... That's all right. Uh, I'm trying to give you some sound effects. Yeah. I'll just make well, sure... excuse me! They all can't be yeah. good. Yeah. Okay, here's the last one. Uh, I thought the dryer was <laughs> shrinking my clothes. Uh, it just turns out it was the refrigerator all along. There you go. So there you go. So there's some, some good bad, material for... Some bad Father's Day Yes, if you bad want your Jay- children to groan yes. over the uh, Father's Day celebration meal, tell those jokes. <laughs> Anyway, seriously, <laughs> happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, and uh, it's a good time to uh, uh, refocus uh, your life. If if you're kind of uh, gotten away from our Heavenly Father, it's a good time to be uh, rethinking about our Heavenly Father as well, yeah. uh, the Father of all. So. You've got mail. This is our Truth in 10 segment, uh, where Pastor Mark answers your Bible questions in 10 minutes or less. Uh Obviously, this is a prophecy show. Uh, we like to do prophecy questions, but sometimes we get regular Bible questions, and we encourage those as well, because we like all things about God's Word. Uh, Pastor Mark, the first question comes from Barbara, and Barbara asks, what is this Christ Church Call movement, yeah. and does this movement point 
to a one world religion in uh, Barbara references a link to an article in The Guardian that's about a month old, about May 8th. Anyway, you've looked at it, and you've got some answers. Yeah, Christ, uh, first of all, um, this uh, the Christ Church, it's actually a town. The name of the town is Christ Church. So it's not actually a church or something like that. It's literally a town in New Zealand named Christ Church. And this is the town, if you guys remember, it was, was it last year or two years ago, there was a terrorist that went into a couple of mosques, and 51 people uh, were killed from that attack, and of course the whole world was shocked by this. It was a horrible event, and so what Christchurch has done, the community in response to that is, is they've decided to call on the international community to come together and basically say we're going to fight this together. Online terrorism, online radicalism. So it's a it's a movement to stop you know the online communication, the online linking, the online terror, if you, if you will. And America, the reason it's in the news is President Biden recently signed on to it. And said, hey, we'll get involved in this and we'll do whatever. And uh, President Trump didn't do that. So it's made news because President Biden did. And although it sounds like a good thing, and certainly it is a good thing if you could really keep it to uh, real terrorists and radicals that are um, a problem. What's concerning about it to me is, and even what recently um, our, the administration here in America has done, Greg, is they are now looking at um, those who have strong beliefs in either um, – conservatism or Christianity uh, as possible terrorists. And they're linking them to white supremacists, which obviously white, suprem- white supremacy, that's a, it's a small movement, but it's an evil movement. It's wrong. Any kind of supremacy of any uh, one group of people over another is wrong and evil. It kind of goes back to the same spirit of Hitler, if I can just say that. So it's something that's very wrong and very evil. But there seems to be an attempt by um, the enemy, that is the spirit realm, to link white supremacy and these kind of movements to conservatives and even to the church. And it's I'm watching this happen. It's like there's this kind of reestat. They're trying to link the two together and say, all right, if you see a white supremacist, you're looking at maybe a Christian, maybe a conservative, which is nonsense. That's false. But there seems to be a link, the enemy trying to do that. And the enemy is using this new administration in some ways, Greg, to do that. So uh, while this is a good thing that you fight against any kind of terrorism or evil radicalism online, I would agree with that 100%. The danger I see behind this is the link to um, those that are not a danger but are now being labeled differently. You know, one of the things that as we've seen over history is believers don't change. The Word of God doesn't change. The church doesn't change. We stand in the same place eternally. But the culture around us changes with the times. And so if the culture loves God, the church is the hero. If the culture starts turning away from God, the church is the enemy. And right now, we're in a season of the world where the world is turning away from God. So the result is the church is becoming more and more the enemy every day. And um, and so you're going to see more and more pressure on the church. The Bible tells us that will happen in the last days. And you're going to see more and more pressure on the church in the last days because of that. Not because the church is hating as they would be accused of or doing anything. We're simply standing on God's word in love, sharing the truth, teaching the truth, but we're going to be labeled as haters uh, because we speak out against sin. And we're going to be labeled as radical because we say there's only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and, and you know, so all these labels are going to come to us. So be ready for that. So this movement in and of itself, were we in a perfect world, would probably be a great movement. But in a world that's not so perfect and when the enemy is working behind the scenes to really, uh, I think, close the, um, the, the, the walls in on the Christian this is something to keep your eye on. This kind of stuff that's happening right now in our government. The church is being painted as the bad guy, and it's going to be things like this, I think, that are going to be used. So that would be my answer to what this is and an explanation to what's going on with the Christchurch call of the nations internationally coming together to fight this terrorism that's going on out there. Uh, Pastor Mark, when the church was birthed, um, there there was a one-world government there was based Rome. out of Rome. That's right. And... There was a moniker or a name given yeah. to the Christians during that time. That's right. And they were known as the haters of men. That's right. We were known as haters. So do you kind of see when you look at the prophetic barometer of things yeah. and how things are increasing and pressurizing, so to speak, in different yeah. aspects of Bible prophecy, yeah. is this one of the things that we see resurrecting or reviving, so to speak, as, yeah. as the Roman Empire is being revived, so is this focus on Christianity as the bad guy, so yeah. to speak? Is this what 
we're kind of seeing here? Yes, and let's talk about it for a second, yeah. Greg. That's great to bring up because, again, remember, the majority of the world doesn't know Christ, and the majority of the world is going to live for darkness. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said that narrows the gate that leads to life. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. So when you see the world unifying in a one-world government like they did in Rome, and you see the world in the last days, there'll be the revived Roman Empire that will come together again. The majority of this one-world unification is unbelievers, and they're going to be living in and for darkness, which means those living in and for light are going to become more and more noticed. They're going to become more and more corralled. They're going to become more and more the enemy. And what happened, of course, the reason they got the name haters of men is because they began speaking out against the sin in the culture. They weren't hating anyone. They were loving the world. They were, they were the hope of the world, the salt of the world, the light of the world. And they were preaching the love of Jesus Christ and the hope we have for those who repent and come to Christ that they might go to heaven. But because the world didn't want to hear it, and because, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, the world loves darkness, uh, the light became the enemy. So the fact that you were speaking the truth, even though it was in love, Satan kind of turned it around and made it as though those speaking in love were the haters. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing's happening today. Uh, Christians are still the same as they were 2,000 years ago when the church was born, but as we said. But now the world is once again uh, turning away from God. The world is more and more, more and more unifying, and the world's going to unify in this one world government, religion, everything else in the last days. And what that means is the world will be living in and for darkness. The church is going to become more and more bright and noticeable. We're not going to change, but they are. And because we're telling them that what they're doing is wrong because we love them so they can repent and come to heaven, um, they're going to see us as the bad guy. They're going to see us as the enemy. And the fact that we point out to them their sin, they're going to say that we're hating when in reality um, it's loving. But let me ask you this question for our listener out there. What is more loving to say something to someone that they may not like, but that will give them a hope of eternal heaven or to say something to someone that they will like, but will help them in their eternal condemnation separated from God. You see, if we go along as Christians with the culture and say, you know, it's okay, uh, homosexuality is, is okay, it's fine, don't worry about it, or, uh, you know, same-sex relationship things or whatever is fine, don't worry about it, or abortion is fine, don't worry about it. If we go along with these things as Christians and say, that, don't worry, we are actually encouraging the condemnation of his souls for eternity, that they have no hope of heaven. So, so what we do in love is we say the same thing Jesus did, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Bible very clearly says those who live a same-sex lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just what the word says. It says those who commit murder will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is the loving thing for the church to do with that understanding from what Jesus said? We didn't, you know, we didn't come up with this. This is not something we wrote, not some, you know, we didn't devise it. God gave it to us. Jesus brought it. We have the word of God. So if we love the world around us, we then tell them, hey, this is sin. You need to repent or you can't go to heaven. And then although that is one of the greatest acts of love that a person could do because you're rescuing them from eternal hell, eternal separation from God because they don't like it and because they don't want to hear it and because, as Jesus said, they love darkness rather than light, many of them, then you become a hater. You hate us because you won't accept us for how we are. God loves everyone. God loves anybody involved in same-sex relationships. I want you to know this if you're listening today. Jesus loves you, and how do I know that? He died for you. He laid down his life. He literally allowed them to nail him to a cross and spill his blood that you might be saved. So to question his love in that is, is unquestionable. And to say that the church somehow came up with this, well, that's unreasonable. We didn't come up with it. We didn't write the Bible. We have, we're simply messengers. But as the messenger, we get attacked. And if we bring God's message of love and forgiveness, you've got to repent. It's just the message. If we're called haters because of that, then so be it. But we're not really haters. We are actually lovers. So even as the early church was called that, we will be called that. Of course, Greg, throughout history, the church believers have been called haters because of, you know, at different times, maybe not use that language like they did in Rome and like they're using today. But it's been used because whenever you love someone to tell, to tell, enough to tell them the truth and they don't want to hear it, they'll, they'll try to back you down by saying, you're, you hate me, you're, you're whatever, and they'll give it a right. label and a yeah. name. But to get back to your point, to wrap this up, um, yes, I do believe there is a connection to Rome and the one world government because of the world uniting in this uh, rejection of God and darkness together. You're going to see darkness being seen as love 
and light being seen as hate when really light is love which is repentance and yes confrontation of sin and um and you know darkness is hate so satan reverses everything he's doing it again uh but god will draw those to him that want the light and that want to be saved yeah great pastor mark okay our next questions uh question rather comes from ankana i hope i pronounced that right but i'm sure i didn't uh her question is as follows why are there different denominations under Christianity, and how do I know which one is truly God's teachings and what he wants us to believe and follow? Yeah, great. Great that, question. Yeah, and it's actually Ankana, and I only oh, know Ankana, that because I had, no, I had to practice. I mean, again, that's not thank a normal you. name, and so Ankana, and she may be Ankana, listening. We love Ankana. She's a yes, new believer in the Lord thank and a you. sweet sister in the Lord and love her very much. Great question. Um, and I think a very, very logical reason, reasoned question about, you know, I think the older, even, you know, more mature Christians would have this very same question after many, many years of walking with the Lord. Why do we have so many denominations? And I've heard that before. Here's what happens. Here's the bottom line. The church is made up of those. The true church is made up of those on of those who rally around the cross of Christ and they rally around what we call the essentials. What are the essentials? That is the essential things you need to believe in order to be saved and go to heaven. And the essentials are this. God came to the earth in human form as a man, Jesus Christ. He died on a cross and spilled his blood. And everyone that believes that and repents of their sin and receives him as Lord, they will be saved and go to heaven. So regardless of your denomination, if you believe the essentials and stand on them and you're not involved in false teaching or heresy, um, which is false teaching, you will go to heaven. So all the denominations, uh, I say all the all the, the Christian denominations, they all have those essentials they stand on. So then why isn't there just one big denomination altogether? Well, it started out that way. The early church was just one denomination. Matter of fact, many people don't realize this. The word Catholic simply means universal. And while the Roman Catholic Church today is a denomination, it is a, uh, it's, its, it's its own denomination. If you took the word away from the Roman Catholic Church and just used the word Catholic, all it means is is universally one. The church started out, I guess, in a technical term as Catholic, but not in the way we know it today by their religion. It just meant in oneness. And then from there, what happened was, and that's why you have the Roman Catholics, because they say we're unified under the Roman you know, view or mindset, so they're their own denomination. You have a Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, etc. And what happened, Ankana, is basically you have these groups of Christians who started having slightly different variants in belief. They were standing on the essentials, cross, the blood, heaven. But then they would say, but wait a minute, I think maybe you have a choice in whether or not you go to heaven. Okay, that's our group, and we give it this name. And they'll say, well, I don't think you have a choice. I think God plans it all in advance, and you don't have a choice at all, which I believe both are true because the Bible teaches both. But then you have a denomination that springs up from that. Um, Then you have those that say, well, I believe this, and I believe that, and you have all these different groups who split off in specifics of what they believe, but they still stand on the essentials in general. So you have different denominations, all with the essentials, but all with different variants of, of what they believe. So they break off in their little group. So you have Methodist, Baptist, Baptist Presbyterian, etc., And that's how you get all the different denominations. And then you have oftentimes, even within denominations, you've probably seen this before, Greg, and I'm, and I'm gonna, maybe you've seen it. If you haven't, you will. Uh, you'll see like, okay, here's the Methodist church and here's the uh, you know, first Methodist and here's second Methodist. Well, what's that about? You know, those are slight variants again of, of even little, they're still a part of the group or whatever, or, or, or Baptist church and primitive Baptist. Okay. A little bit different. So you have the different free will Baptist yeah. is another one. Yeah. yeah. You have difference in denomination variants and then which make different denominations or groups of people that believe in the essentials. And then within each of those denominations, you also have different variants that still typically will hold to the essentials, but on the non-essentials, there's differences, and so you know you might have one church that believes you can sprinkle the baby at birth, and so they're the church of sprinkling babies at birth, but they're still involved in this denomination. Then another part of the denomination says, no, I think that has to be full immersion in water, so we're the one that's there. So you have these two different groups within one. Again, I'm, I'm maybe going too long on this, but I'm making the point very clear for you. That's where the denominations come from. So when you say, how do we know which one God wants us really to follow? God doesn't want us to follow any denomination at all. God wants us to follow Jesus Christ, and he wants us to stand on the essentials, and that is this. 
Jesus died on the cross. It's only through his blood. It's only through him that we go to heaven. And that's salvation. That's the only way we can be saved to repent. So if you believe that, you can be involved in any group that believes that, no matter what they call themselves, and still go to heaven. The key is Jesus is the one we're to follow. He's the central focus. And by the way, this is why I I personally, um, I'm not against denominations. I think that God can use them. I think different denominations, oftentimes for people, they feel more comfortable in different environments. You have denominations that are, that are, that are way more you know, formal. And there are people that really like to worship God in a very formal setting. Okay. That's fine. And then you have denominations where people are very free. They're very less formal that, you know, maybe in the formal, they were all suits and robes and the free, they were blue jeans and t-shirts. Both are true believers. Both are following Jesus Christ. Both are correct on the essentials, okay? Uh, But they feel more comfortable in their denomination or whatever. We at Calvary Chapel are a non-denomination. That doesn't mean that I'm anti-denomination. It's just I like not having a label of a denomination because I think sometimes, well, a lot of times, denominations can put walls up. They don't have to. But what I mean is, and I don't don't think they do it intentionally. What I'm going to say is this, is that, for example, I grew up in a certain denomination. I'm not going to name it. But I grew up in a certain denomination, and because I was in that denomination, we didn't do things with other denominations. We just didn't. We did stuff with our people, but we didn't do stuff with their people. Now, I know that's wrong, but that's just human nature, and it's what we did. So, so again, I'm not anti-denomination. They're fine. No problem in that. But I personally like the whole idea of the non-denomination because it seems to bring down some of the walls. And what I find is with our people is they can freely go in and out of other denominations and still come back to Calvary and feel very, very comfortable. And I also find that people around us from denominations can come into Calvary and feel very comfortable because they may come in and go, well, I'm a Presbyterian, but you're, you're a, a you know, Baptist or Methodist or whatever you are, and so I don't feel comfortable being here. But if, if we don't have a label on us, then the Presbyterian feels comfortable here, the Baptist feels comfortable here, the Methodist feels comfortable here. You get the idea. Yeah. It's just we are focused on Jesus and that's where our focus is going to be. So let me reiterate, I'm not attacking denominations. And if you're listening, which most of our people are involved in a denomination, God bless you. That's fine. That is just what we've chosen to do because I think it does help to tear down some of those yeah. walls. And I hope that gives an explanation of what denominations uh, are. Uh, going back to that core doctrine or core essentials to the Christian faith. Yeah. Can we also add in that uh, God's word is inerrant and that Jesus was born of a virgin? Absolutely. As, as part of part of that yes. core doctrine yes would that would, be true no i would agree okay. and i would think greg that here's the thing i think you'll find sadly a lot of people within the church who don't believe the word of god is inerrant but then the question comes up do they really know christ uh, i think that if you really give your life to the lord you're going to realize this is the word of god and so there's questions there as to whether if it's a baby christian and they haven't learned that yet that's one thing but if you've been walking with the lord any length of time and you don't really know that god's word is inerrant uh, you know, it may be because you don't know the Lord, but yes, I didn't, I didn't give like an official yeah. theological a, list yeah. of all the, the essentials, just throwing that in, there. but I'm making that point for, for, for Ankana, And that is it's these different groups of Christians. If they rally around the essentials, it doesn't matter what denomination or non-denomination they are involved in. Okay. All right. Pastor Mark, our last question comes from Ophelia and she writes why is it that if polygamous marriages are frowned upon by god that they are so prevalent in the old testament yeah. some of, some of the most influential powerful men of god were known to have many wives why is this and why does god not condemn or speak out about this topic more often i understand clergy and kings were commanded only to take one wife but why not command everyone else to do the same? Yeah, that's a great, such a great question. And I want to say, I want to answer it in two ways. I want to start off by saying, first of all, uh, which, you know, why doesn't God address that more throughout the scripture? The answer to that is we don't know why. And, you know, God doesn't tell us everything. Um, We'll find out in the kingdom why God didn't address that more directly throughout the scripture. But we really don't know why. And if you go and look at all the great theologians throughout history, I don't know that you're going to find um, much more than that, but you will find this. Here's the bottom line. God established all the beginnings and foundations of everything that he wanted for mankind in Genesis, very beginning of the Bible. And it wasn't just priests and clergy that, you know, you know, if you, to use that wording, it wasn't just those that are involved in ministry that God said had one wife. God said in his word and, and laid out the very clearly the picture that everyone is only supposed to have one wife or one husband. And where do we get that from? In the garden, at the very beginning, God made a man and God made a woman. 
and God brought them together. And so it was, it was one man with one woman. That is a marriage. That was it. That's all Adam and Eve ever had. That's all that mankind was supposed to have. And that's how God established it. What happened is over time, and I'm not justifying culture. I'll explain this as I get further in. Culture began to change, and uh, men became dissatisfied with just one wife. They wanted multiple wives, driven by fleshly desires. And so they started marrying multiple women. God never gave a sanction on that. God never approved that. And God very clearly had laid down his, what he wanted and what he put as the right marriage that marriage should be, a man and a woman, one man, one woman in Genesis. So as culture went on, all these other people that you read about in Scripture, they followed the culture, and they had multiple wives. Now, just because the culture says it's okay, that does not mean it's okay. So God didn't say, well, the culture changed, so therefore my word changes. No, God's Mm -hmm. word doesn't change with the culture. God's word is eternal and stands written. It is written, even when Jesus quoted, again, with the attacks of Satan in the wilderness and said, it is written, it's the word grapho in the Greek, and it means it is written and still stands written. So it doesn't change. So God's word is unchanging. So God, why why did God allow it? Okay, here's the bottom line. How many times does God have to say it? Before he means it would be the first question I would ask. God laid it out very clearly. One man, one woman at the beginning. He shouldn't have to say it again. However, the argument comes up, yes, but other things he mentioned multiple times. And that's a a reasonable argument. So then it comes up, why didn't God mention that multiple times? I don't know why. But I do know he, he, he established it. He said it's the way it's supposed to be. But also let me say this. Whenever you disobey God's word, you will have consequences. And Greg, you and I were talking about this just the other day. Yeah. The reality is, if you marry more than one partner, you're going to have consequences. If a wife marries multiple husbands, which doesn't usually happen, but I want to start that way and I'll work in reverse, she will have multiple headaches because those men are going to want her attention and her time and they're going to want to be the main one. It's going to be this constant miserable battle for that woman. She's going to be miserable. If a man has multiple wives, it's going to be all of... You know, his attention, they're all going to be fighting over, and there's going to be all these things going on, uh, the, the emotions, the heart, the time, and, and that's exactly what we see in Scripture. Look at Jacob. Jacob didn't obey that. Jacob had multiple wives. And what did Jacob have? He had wives fighting over him, you know, where he was going to live and sleep and everything, and he had this battle going on, and, and you might think, yeah, well, that's great. He had more women, and there was more relations and all these fleshly things you can think of. He was miserable. He was, these women were always fighting with each other. They were fighting with him. He had to solve all the problems. Everything was a headache. It was this constant battle. So did, did those who had multiple wives face consequences? Yes, great consequences. Do those today in the Middle East that have multiple spouses face consequences? Yes, multiple consequences. Ask them. They'll tell you. So the point is this. God said one man, one woman. God said it. He meant it. Uh, saying it one time is enough. We don't know why he didn't repeat it more after that. In addition to that, uh, if you disobey, if I disobey, if we disobey, there will be consequences. And so it's not a pretty picture. So the bottom line is the consequences are built in to decisions to disobey, but God did cover it in his word. Well, and Pastor Mark, I would say not just uh, consequences within the marriage relationship itself between one man and many wives. Right. But in the Bible shows us, especially in the Old Testament, the problems within the children. Yeah. Because the children are all half brothers and sisters. And in David's life, in Solomon's life, and after Solomon's death, all of that sibling rivalry, the rapes, the murders, all of the things that are depicted come from the result of that type of relationship. Yeah, David suffered the consequences, yeah. and so did Jacob, and so did all the others. Don't yeah. think they got away with it. You look at that and go, well, today, how'd they get away with it? Let me tell you <laughs> something. They did not get away with it, and neither will we if we don't obey the Word of God in any area of our life. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Ophelia and uh, Ankana and uh, Barbara, thank you so much for your questions. If you've got a question for Pastor Mark, we invite you to visit our website at thewaymedia.net. Or you can download the Way Media app. Either one of those places, you can go to the Signs of the Times section, click on Ask a Prophecy Question, where you can ask your question to Pastor Mark. And we also have a Frequently Asked Questions section uh, that we uh, try to keep maintained uh, with uh, prophecy questions, as well as some of these general Bible questions uh, that we receive that are of general interest, so to speak, 
to our, our listeners and just Christians in general, and that will be under the FAQ section as well. We invite you to visit that and check that out and, uh, and everything else that's on our website. Signs of the Times is much more than a Bible prophecy, as you can see, regular Bible questions, but we are going to get into prophetic stories and prophetic answers on the other side when we dive into Israel and other articles of interest as our program continues right here on WIAM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in just a few moments. WIAMLP 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's Crazy Money Day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with my money life from Crown. A Goldman Sachs executive made millions of dollars from his personal investment in Dogecoin. Then he quit his job. He had worked there for more than 14 years. Now he's thinking about starting a hedge fund. When someone inherits millions of dollars or makes a fortune in the market, it's tempting to retire and live off the profits. But God designed us to work. God put Adam in the garden to work for his own benefit. It wasn't a curse. But after the fall of Adam, work became much more difficult. God commanded us to work six days. And in the New Testament, Paul said, If anyone's not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. There's dignity in our work. It's a blessing that creates purpose for us. Now, if you're a Christian, view your job or business as an opportunity to serve the Lord. See work as a mission field in which you can bring God glory in all that you do. Plus, it's a major opportunity to shed light in the lives of all you encounter. Let God be the owner of your work and see yourself as a faithful manager. God uniquely created you with special talents, interests, and personality. The most important question people can ask every day is this, For whom do I work? If the answer is anything or anyone other than the Lord, the biblical principles of work are not being applied. So steward your work well. Whether you make millions like the Goldman Sachs executive or not, Remember to glorify God in whatever you do. In my new book, Seven Gray Swans, I describe potentially significant events that could happen. A gray swan is an obvious danger that we tend to ignore. My goal is to show you how to prepare for and survive these economic threats. You can find the ebook online right now at Amazon.com. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. As believers, you're going to face trials and tribulations. You're going to face the attacks of the enemy. It would be easy to say that there is a target on your back. If you don't believe me, next time you're near a mirror, check it out. You'll see it. There's a spiritual target on your back. If you're a spiritual leader, there, the target it seems to be much bigger depending upon the type of influence you might have with people. As a parent, there's a target. As a friend, there's a target. As a business owner, there's a target. As a believer, just a follower of Jesus, there's a target that the enemy seems to shoot at constantly, constantly, continually, especially where there's progress being made. Go deeper in your love relationship with Jesus as you visit edtaylor.org. Again, we're at edtaylor.org. You've been listening to A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back to our weekly look at Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news. These are the Signs of the Times for Friday, June 18th, 2021. This is episode 172 for those podcasting later. Most of our listeners are podcasters. We appreciate you carving out whatever time you can during your busy week to digest our program and uh, see if these things aren't true uh, that we're, you know, we're not making this stuff up. These are real news stories and it's the real word of God. All right, let's go to Israel. Pastor Mark, 
don't know if this has any prophetic significance, but it definitely has political significance. I'll let you be the judge of which is which. Uh, but uh, timesofisrael.com reporting after 12 years in office, Benjamin Netanyahu has now been unseated, and Bennett is now sworn in as the new prime minister of yeah. the nation of Israel. Yeah, I think it both has political and prophetic, and I'll explain both in a moment. But, Greg, I also like the fact this is going to help people understand the political system in Israel, and so I'm going to take a moment to discuss that, and it really bears out here in the article. The government approved 60 to 59 in Israel. Uh, Yamina Head Heckled, that Yamina's one of the parties over there, the, his, the head, Bennett, mm-hmm. uh, heckled throughout the Knesset speech. Again, in history-making vote of Israel's 36th government, they were sworn in at the Knesset on Sunday, installing the Yamina chair, Naftali Bennett, as prime minister and ousting Benjamin Netanyahu after 12 years of consecutive rule as premier. Now, premier, rather. He's, he's actually uh, ruled over there longer than 12, but 12 consecutive. The MKs, which is what they call their Knesset members, uh, voted by a wafer-thin 60-59 to 59 in favor of the new government. This has barely got him in. Made up of the right-wing, left-wing, centrist, and Islamist parties that came together to oust Netanyahu and to end two years of political deadlock, which it's been a mess over there the last two years. Passing Bennett, uh, the now former prime minister, uh, shook his successor's hand, as that is as Benjamin Netanyahu went by, in a symbol of peaceful transition of power. Earlier in the session, Netanyahu had derided Bennett in a speech as a fraudster, unfit for office. Netanyahu loyalist MKs had heckled Bennett through his, though his address, through his address, introducing his government and setting out his plans. Following the nail-biting vote, Bennett was sworn in as prime minister, as were his new government colleagues. His election represents the first time that Israel has been led by a religiously observant, a kippah-wearing prime minister. Uh, Yesh Atid, chairman Yair Lapid, uh, who put together the coalition after being tasked by the outgoing president, Reuven Rivlin, for doing so, was sworn in as the, and I quote, alternative prime minister and future prime minister. They're going to actually split the prime ministership, Greg, and we'll get to how this works in a moment. They're going to take turns. They couldn't put a government together otherwise to beat Netanyahu. Referring to the coalition agreements between the two, Bennett promised from the podium to hand over the premiership to Lapid on August 27th, 2023. Now, here's who the group is made up of. The government is backed by eight of the 13 parties that won seats. Let me describe a little bit of how this works, and then we'll read it. Their their government system works like ours in this. They elect their uh, president, if you will, their prime minister for four years. But if there's a problem and something can't be resolved or a huge issue, the Knesset, we would say our Congress, okay, can vote to say, let's do early election. It'd be like today if they voted in, in, in Washington and said, you know what, we don't think that President Biden's doing a good job. If we get enough votes, we'll have a new election. They can do that in Israel. So they decide to have a new election. It could be earlier than four years. This is earlier, if you will. Well, they really hadn't settled things. It's being so crazy over there. But they have multiple. They don't just like Republican, Democrat, and then maybe, um, um, you know, um, another party, you know, coming in, an outside fringe party or whatever. They have, they have 13. So imagine 13 parties. That they have a main right and a main left, okay? But 13 parties. And, and so what they have to do to put together a government is everybody votes for who they want to be prime minister. Then that prime minister has to go and get these 13 groups and get enough of them from each group to have the majority of the Congress or what they call the Knesset. So then you get that majority to vote for you and you become the president. That's what he did, 60 to 59. He barely did it by one vote. And it's made up of these multiple different parties, and I'll put that in quotes, what they've done is because they hate Netanyahu so much. You know they talked about Trump, um, you know, syndrome, Trump derangement syndrome. Mm-hmm. There's Netanyahu derangement syndrome among the left over in Israel. They hate him as much as the left hates uh, Donald Trump here in America. So it's kind of like, look, whatever it takes to get President Trump out, we will we will sacrifice our lives and the future of our nation just to get rid of the guy. Israel's the same way. Whatever it takes to get rid of uh, Netanyahu, we will sacrifice our lives. We'll sacrifice our political future. It doesn't matter. Do it. And so what they did was they went and put parties together, Greg, that have never, ever agreed. In particular, one that's yeah. never, ever been linked to the with a conservative party, yeah. uh, the Islamist party. We'll talk about right, that. Yeah. We'll read that in a yeah. second. Because they needed to get these people in order to have enough votes in the Congress slash Knesset to get rid of Netanyahu. So here's what they put together. They, they had the election. Uh, they kind of tied, if you will. Bennett and Netanyahu were so close that it was kind of a tie. One had more than the other, but not enough to be a winner. 
So then the president of Israel, who's kind of more of a figurehead, he's not the prime minister, he's kind of like the queen of England, kind of there in name only, but doesn't really have the power, but they have a president. The president says, all right, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to go to these 13 different groups and put together a government. So Netanyahu, you go first. He tried. He couldn't put together a government. Bennett, now you give it a shot. Bennett goes and he gets sneaky. He goes to all the guys that he knows stand with him. Then he goes to the enemies of both of them and makes some promises. Hey, look, I know you're the Islamist party. I know you'd never vote for Netanyahu or me, but if you'll give me your four votes and bring your four guys in that represent from the Knesset, I'll let you move in and build illegal homes on Israeli land uh, and just let you do it. Really? Yeah. That's what he told them. So they said, we'll do it. We'll join you. So he brought in for the first time ever, the Islamic group with a conservative group in Israel added them to the coalition. Those are the four votes he needed to push him over the top to give him 60 to 59. He made promises to give up Israel's land in order to, you know, let them build illegal mm, places. So yeah. that may have some interesting prophetic implications as time goes yeah, on. With the land, especially. Yes, we'll yes. see. But here's what it's made up of, okay? It's made up of 120 Knesset members. You need a total of 60 votes to rule. Here are the parties he put together. The Yesh Atid, 17 seats, blue and white, 8. Uh, Israel Betenu, uh, 7. Labor, 7, uh, which is the main party there of, of, of the left. Uh, Yamina, which is he's a part of, six of seven. Uh, New Hope, six. Meret, six. Ra'am, three of its four, and that is the Islamists. And the parties uh, that uh, were shunted in opposition were Likud, which is Netanyahu's, ultra-Orthodox Shahs, and United Torah Judaism parties, the far-right religion Zionism, and predominantly Arab joint lists from there. Now, uh, the coalition represents an unprecedented diverse mix of parties from right um, to the center, which is Yashish, uh, Atid, and Blue and White, all the way to the left, which is Labor and Meretz, in addition to the conservative, conservative Islamist party, that's conservative Islam, Ra'am, which is where he got the votes to push him over the top, their leaders have vowed to try to work a consensus to heal the rifts in Israel society within crossing their own ideological red lines, uh, without crossing their lines. In his final speech as Prime Minister of Israel before the new government was sworn in, Netanyahu unleashed his fury on Bennett and vowed to work tirelessly to topple the new coalition. Because, see, remember, he can, he can get another vote if he can put enough guys together. Yeah. I will fight daily, he said, against this terrible, dangerous left-wing government in order to topple it. Uh, in his lengthy speech to the Knesset. With God's help, it will happen a lot earlier than you think it will. In comments warning Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah that he's not going away, he declared in English, we will be back soon, okay? Now, you had a comment. No, I was just going to ask you, do you think his ousting um, was a chastisement by God because of the recent scandal that he found himself in that seems to have been legitimate? Yeah, who knows? Who knows, Greg? I don't know. But I do. But let me. That's now the political side of things. Let's now get into the, the signs prophetic. of the times. Yes. yes. What does this mean prophetically? This could have a huge prophetic import for our, our listeners out there. And what do I mean by that? The two main nations that you see God working through in the world today number one is Israel, because everything focuses and centers around Israel as God's prophetic time clock. Mm-hmm. But America's number two. And why? Because we have the largest Christian influence or have for many years. We're losing that now, but we have. And we've also been one of the main supporters of Israel financially, emotionally, and militarily. So God has blessed America because of that. And so what the world has not been able to do is they've not been able to topple Israel or destroy Israel because America has been the big brother protecting them on the playground. So what America has been waiting on is we need to wait till the big brother is either gone or weak, maybe sick, crippled, been in a wreck, whatever. And then we need to wait till Israel's weak and sick and attack. If we're ever going to destroy them, we have to hit them while they're down. In a rare moment of recent history, America and Israel are very weak in their leadership. We have weak leadership in America. This is not a political attack. It's, a, it's just a fact. Because we don't have a government right now in America that will make a strong stand against the world. It's just kind of there. Now, this new government in Israel, Greg, they're very weak. They're, they're compromising with the enemy around them. They won't make a strong stand on things they need to make a stand on. They just did whatever they needed to do to get rid of Netanyahu and take power. And in America, many did whatever they needed to do to get rid of uh, President Trump. I'm not supporting him necessarily. I'm simply saying that there was a concerted effort because of just it doesn't matter who's in there. Just get rid of him. But what the result is now, the world sees us as weak in America 
And now the world sees Israel as weak in the world. And so what this means is, if there was ever a time to attack, if there was ever a time to cause problems, if there was ever a time to try to change the world order and make it new, we're in it. And this could have a huge impact. It could embolden uh, Russia, Iran, Turkey, um, really more more Iran and Turkey and Syria pulling Russia into it, which, by the way, it says, because they'll pull them into Russia doesn't care as much, but they're going to be pulled in, if you remember, with a hook in the jaw, it says in the yeah. Scripture. This is a time, if you're going to attack, yeah. man, I'm not saying yeah. it, it's going to happen yeah. right now. What I'm saying is yeah. this is a, a prime moment to attack Israel, because not only is Israel weakened and confused by what has just happened politically with a weak government, America, who has been the one that made everybody afraid to attack Israel, is also pro-Palestinian right now in their leadership. They're very weak in their leadership, in our leadership, and probably we wouldn't do anything if anybody attacked Israel. We may say we would, but we wouldn't. I don't believe we would. So keep your eyes open. This may be a moment over the next three and a half to four years that the enemy is going to try to move. We don't know what the timing is, but if there was ever a perfect timing for this, these some of these end times wars we've been talking about to take place, Greg, we just yeah. stepped into it this week. Well, uh, and again, we don't know how long this government will last. That's right. It could be uh, a few months and be gone again. But, you know, it reminds me of the of uh, what the Bible talks about congregational rule, because you, you said that this new government is going to allow these different factions to take their turn behind the wheel. Yeah. And that just sounds like that sounds like congregational rule. And there's going to be a committee for everything. And uh, there's lots of work that remains to be done before we can announce our failure to make any progress. And it's only so. going to be split between two, but yes. all those others will be behind the scenes working yeah. on those two. You had to give up something to yeah. get everybody to join you, and yeah. now you got to pay up. The prophetic soap opera continues. There it goes. All right, let's uh, come back to America to see that CNBC.com is reporting that inflation is speeding up, uh, and ha- what did speed up in April, uh, as consumer prices leap. 4.2%, the fastest since, guess what year, 2008. Amazing, yeah, and again, this has some prophetic import as well. Inflation in April accelerated at its fastest, as you said, Greg, in a pace, um, I mean, more than 12 years. As the U.S. economy recovery kicked into gear and energy prices jumped higher, the Labor Department reported Wednesday, the Consumer Price Index, which measures a basket of goods as well as energy and housing costs, rose 4.2% from a year earlier. That's huge. A Dow Jones survey has expected had expected a 3.6 increase, which is still big. The month-to-month gain was 0.8% uh, against the expected 0.2. Excluding volatile food and energy prices, the core CPI increased 3% from the same period 2020, uh, 0.9% on a monthly basis. The respective estimates were 2.3 and 0.3. Listen, a lot of these numbers don't matter uh, if you don't really understand what it's saying. Here's the bottom line. The increase in the annual rate was the fastest since 2008, while the monthly gain in the core inflation uh, was the largest since 1981. Good grief. The year I graduated high school. That's a long time ago, friends. Energy prices overall jumped 25% from a year earlier, including 49.6% increase for gasoline, 37.3% fuel uh, for fuel oil. That came even uh, that came even though most energy categories saw a decline in April. Get this: lumber prices. If you're building a house, you know this, or any projects. Lumber prices alone have risen 124% since the election. Um, again, copper. Often seen as a proxy for economic activity has jumped nearly 36%. We have a neighbor building a house right now, and they said it has now doubled in the cost of their lumber as to what their original estimate was. It is absolutely going out the roof. Now, what is happening? Look, you can talk politically all day you want. There's a lot of political reasons this is happening. It's a different viewpoint of how an economy is supposed to be run. And so we are the consequences are coming upon us for that purpose. But let's shift it to political. I'm not political. Let's shift it to prophetic. Remember, the world economy has got to come together and be one. Right now, the dollar is king in the world. It rules. Everything is based on the dollar worldwide. If the dollar collapses, if America collapses, there's going to have to be a new system of economy worldwide. I believe that is indeed going to happen in the last days. Now, 
Greg and I were discussing earlier, it doesn't mean the dollar has to collapse. We could just choose to agree to blend into the rest of the world and become a one-world currency. However, one way it could happen is for the American dollar to completely become worthless through inflation and through a change in you know what we're seeing in America. If that indeed happens with a collapse and its value dropping, China coming on strong, they want to rule the world with their economy, so to speak. Um, you may see a change over here. And it's interesting because China is really in the place to take over as the world economic leader, uh, using their money rather than ours if we go under. But what's interesting about it, they say, well, yeah, then it just switches over to, is it the yen? Is that what the China, I forget what the China thing is. Either way, the China money, whatever you call it, if it switches over, I don't think that's going to happen. China is now the world leader in digital economy. They are implementing it in China. So what that means is, if America goes down, which it looks like we're going down, even if China was to step up and people say, well, we, we'll use their currency, it would still be moving toward a digital currency, which I think eventually, Greg, it will be a worldwide digital currency and a one-world currency. Well, you just wonder how in the world could the world have a one-world currency? Digital. So I think the collapse of America financially is underway. Whether it will keep going, I don't know. But if it does, this may be, and I'll emphasize may, be the door into the one world digital economy. Let's keep our eyes on it. Well, and we've already seen, as we talked about before the show, Pastor Mark, the European Union came together and its first order of business was the the euro. And so they got all the European countries to lay down their individual currencies right. in favor of one regional currency, yes. which is the euro. And prophetically, we could really see regional currencies come up first before we maybe come to the single currency Baby steps. Well, it's interesting. You can see this, the whole new thing, yeah. the way, way America's going, Greg. We now have what's called the UO. And that's you owe everybody everything you have. And so we have the oh, Euro oh. and the UO. And oh, we're now a part word. of the UO. I had the volume down. There, there we go. go. Right. That was that was definitely in worth, honor of uh, Dad's Day. In honor Father's of Dad's Day. Dad's Day. Yes, thank you for that. Okay, let's get to some one world government news as the clock is running on us here. Uh, this is from Israel365news.com. The EU is now dictating to the yeah. Jewish community here's how you must ritually yeah. slaughter your meat. Yeah, I'll make this short because of other articles we can try to get to, but Greg, I do want to point this out yeah, because absolutely. this is interesting. Yes. This has prophetic import yes, again as well. Jewish community leaders in Europe say. The EU is not only outlawing certain methods of kosher and halal slaughter, but is also instructing Jews and Muslims, by the way, as to how to practice their own religions. This was a result of a recent ruling by European Union's highest court. It upholds bans in Belgium on manufacturing kosher and halal meat, their religious meats, uh, outlawing a practice in which livestock is slaughtered without initially being electronically stunned unconscious. Here's what they're saying. Here's the bottom line. What the activists are saying, the animal activists, is that it's cruel just to kill them. So you need to stun them or somehow give them a painkiller is kind of the idea before you put them to Knock death. Knock them out before you kill them. And yet that goes against the whole principle of the sacrifice and what they're doing for this, for God, if you will. So they can't do that. Um, again, listen to Simon Cohen, Shimon, Shimon Cohen. He said, this is astonishing. Uh, a London-based organization that lobbies against attempts to ban the uh, Shakita. On kosher slaughter, a secular court does not have the authority to tell people if they can practice elements of their faith. It is a gross overreach. And they go on saying that, you know, the bottom line is you're, you're telling us what to do religiously. Hey, hang on. This is just the beginning, just my the friend. Beginning. Let me tell you something. It's this happening is in America. This is hitler It is. But, Greg, it's happening in America. Yeah. They're now telling us, they're you know, again, they're already in Canada saying, if you teach what the Bible teaches in certain things, yeah. we're shutting you down. Yeah. And now there are threats on that in America. And so they're doing the same thing to the Jews. They're saying, you kill your animals the way that your religion prescribes. If we don't agree with it, we're shutting you down. What's happening is it's not about doing what you think your God has told you to do. It's like government is God. We will tell you what to do, and we're going to force it. And it's going to cause people to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And people are going to end up in jail, and they're going to end up dead. But that's exactly what the Antichrist, he will eventually force everyone to do what he tells them to do, as he says he is God. So this is right in line with the last day's spirit of the Antichrist. Mm. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, how about some growing anti-Semitism? Uh, this is from Breitbart.com. Pro-Palestinian protesters chant Alu Akbar as they torch an Israeli flag in a New York City demonstration. Yeah, Greg. The Please cons- explain. Yeah, the concern here, again, we know that in the last days, the Bible says everyone will turn against Israel. And we always thought America would be the last holdout. We have been. But you know what? It's now happening in America. We are getting more and more 
anti-Israel people and voices, even in Congress, with some of our Congresswomen that are very anti-Israel yes. and anti-God, and they're standing against Israel. And so the scary thing is we're watching this happen. The Bible told us it would happen, but we're watching it happen. I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime initially, but then I begin to realize I think I will because I think we're in the last days. I think this proves we're in the last days. Uh, again, apparently the protesters, it says, are angry. Uh, that many museum and modern art board members invested in companies that supply Israel armies with weapons, or Israel's army with weapons, weeks after the conflict flared between Israel and Palestine. The protesters also allegedly burned the Israeli flag in front of Rockefeller Center, claiming the Rockefellers helped fund the MOMA. Several of those trustees have been targeted by protesters for their pro-Israel views. Photos also show the group spraying red paint on the sidewalks outside the building of BlackRock, an investor in Lockheed Martin, which has been supplying the Israeli army with weapons since 1971. In Philadelphia, pro-Palestinian protesters chanted, Palestine will be free, accompanied by drum beats and a waving flag. What is it in all these weirdo movements? They play drums. What's the thing with the drums? There's some spiritual thing going on. With drums. You Not see sure. drums. Well, yeah. I, yeah, honestly, I, I've seen this. There's this whole drum beat that goes into a lot of these false religions. And I saw that happen out west. What's weird oh, like is, a drum circle. What's weird yeah. is you see the drum beats now coming into their protest. There's a spiritual element to that. There yeah. truly is. The latest events come as a dozen of Jewish Democratic House members called out Representative Ilan Omar for a comparison of the United States to uh, and Israel to Hamas terrorists. So here's the bottom line. You're going to see the world turn against Israel. You're going to see America turn more against Israel. People are getting bold to do it. And once again, as I said at the beginning, those standing with God don't change. The world changes around us. And as we stand in the same place we have for thousands of years, and as they continue to change with the spirit of the age and the spirit of Antichrist, you're going to hear more of it. You're going to see more of it. And the church is going to be more persecuted along with the Jews, quite obviously. Well, and God is using the Jew hate around the world to drive the Jews back into the land of Israel. Yes. Uh, and we've talked about that before as well. Yes. All right. Some pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption. This is from Israel365news.com. Uh, dated June 16th, so just a couple of days old, 4.2 earth quake rocking the dead sea yes and i just heard of one again today right okay. also in that same area we don't have that article but earthquakes are happening in israel a magnitude 4.2 earthquake was felt in southern israel on tuesday night at 208 a.m the epicenter of the quake 68 kilometers northeast of elat i know you know exactly where that is and a depth of 10 kilometers come I, I know a general idea where that is yes. because i've been there but yes. according to statistics and seismic history the region should experience a major quake every 80 to 100 years the last major quake was July 11th, 1927, and registered 6.2 on the Richter scale, killing 500 people. Another major earthquake is therefore now due. Uh, as terrifying as earthquakes can be, there may be a silver lining to the increase uh, to this seismic activity. According to Dr. Shmuel Marco, head of the School of Environmental and Earth Sciences at Tel Aviv University, he noted there may be a prophetic connection. Providence came, became active a certain number of years after major earthquakes in Israel's history. And he goes on to list some of them and all this. Now, again, I don't agree. If you go look at the article, I don't agree with his uh, prophetic viewpoint because he, he, you have an unbelieving Jewish man here who's using his theology and all that. I don't agree with his viewpoint. However, I do agree. The Bible says in the last days you'll see an increase in earthquakes. And I, I do know that God uses earthquakes to make statements. So I think you're going to see more earthquakes around the globe. You're going to see more earthquakes in Israel. And yes, oftentimes around earthquakes, there are prophetic events and prophecies that do come forth. One of the things that we've uh, postulated in the past is that God may use earthquakes and revived volcanic activity in northern Israel uh, to stop the armies of Iran and Russia coming in. Only God knows what, if that'll happen that way. But either way, it's interesting to see the increase in earthquakes and to see it happening in Israel, keep your eye on it. Okay. Let's end with some good news, Pastor Mark, from ChristianHeadlines.com. A Connecticut graduate turns down a $40,000 college scholarship yeah. so students in real need can have it. She says, God will take me the rest of the a way. A feel-good self-denial story, and God certainly will. A Connecticut high school graduate decided to turn down 40000 in scholarships for other students who didn't have the money. Verda Tera, a 17-year-old girl from Fitchburg, has initially been awarded the scholarship or had for general excellence but at friday's commencement ceremony she announced that she was turning it down so that other students could receive it and i quote it is such a great honor but i also know that i'm not the most in need of it she said at the graduation which was met with a standing ovation verda a straight a student explained that it was her christian faith that prompted her to give away the scholarship 
Verda also has several other scholarships, so she felt it was the best way to give the scholarship away to a student or multiple, or best to give it away to a student or multiple students who really had need of it. She said, God has given me what I need. I'm going to give this away. And you know what? Because God started this, God will give me what I need to finish it. And that is a faith in God and in God's sovereignty. Good for Verda. I think that's not only showing her faith, but it also is going to be an encouragement, just to, not just to help others financially. But an encouragement to show that God is faithful and, and God's love. So it's always good to have a feel-good story after all the disaster we talk about during the show, and that's a good one. Well, you know what's interesting is that she's practicing a scriptural principle, is that God will be a debtor to no man. That's right. Which means God's not going to owe man anything, which means you can't outgive God. And the fact that she's willing to lay down $40,000 for other people is just a great demonstration that she understands that principle. Yeah. You know, I love it. whether I love it's it. tithing of your time or your money or whatever, and God listen, won't owe you anything. Don't forget Jesus paid your debt yes. as well. Amen. And through the cross and his blood, if you confess and yeah. receive him today, he'll bring you into the kingdom. Repent, receive Jesus. He loves you. Know that you're loved and forgiven through his blood and, and become a part of the family. Yeah. Pastor Mark, great way to end episode 172. And we invite you to visit thewaymedia.net for all things Signs of the Times related. You can check out our other content there as well. And for our uh, WIAM listeners, we invite you to stay with us as we get into great worship and Bible teaching throughout the rest of the day. And make sure to come back next Friday at 1.30 for more Signs of the Times. Feeling a little un today? Unworthy? Unloved? Unqualified? Then it's time to remember God's word for you. Unequal. That's right. You're unequal. You're one of an uncomparable kind. And since he made you, he understands when you're feeling a little unsettled. You know, an unspoken prayer can help. And he'll answer it, probably in an unseen and definitely unexpected way. And it'll be unforgettable. WIAM 101.1 FM. The Way.